Welcome to everybody to the Hot Stove Society show. It's uh, it must be Saturday or Sunday. Hopefully, you're listening in your car, in your garden, in your kitchen, wherever you take our show. We appreciate that uh, you're here with us. Uh, we are downtown Seattle in the hotel, under second floor above the old, uh, not the old Lola, but the Lola space, which we're hoping to get up and running in the next couple of months. And this beautiful hotel is being remodeled and will be up and running in the next month or so. So uh, come down and visit us. Stay overnight. It's looking good. There's a lot of people working around here. Have breakfast at the Dahlia Bakery right across the street. Uh, Anyway, I am chef owner of uh, several restaurants here in Seattle, including the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Cooking School, where we are at Serious Pie downtown. Dahlia Bakery is up and running for six weeks now. It's going great. Uh, I'm down at Seatown mostly cooking, uh, especially Saturdays and Sundays. I like to shuck oysters out on the sidewalk on Saturdays and Sundays. And then, of course, uh, we have our serious takeout out in Ballard, 52nd and 14th Northwest. I say takeout, but, you know, there are picnic tables and there's... Yeah, it's more than just takeout. It's right it, in the. It's grown into a semi-restaurant. Yeah, in a funny way, it has. It's uh, right in the brewery district there in Ballard, so you can hop around, have some beer, eat some pizza, and then uh, we've been doing barbecue. Last week was lamb bellies on the uh, on the on the pop-up barbecue, so super fun. That's How about awesome. you, sir? I'm Thierry Rotero, the chef in a hat, and uh, with Luke downtown this week, we announced the closure, final closure of Lule, mm-hmm. and. Uh, as you know, Six and Union is not really happening right now, and uh, been closed for a year and a few months. It's just there is no real foreseeing future right away. So uh, we call it quit. So that's the end of Lule. And Luke has about uh, two weeks and uh, two days left, and uh, we will put the close on that as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's looking, it's extremely busy right now, as you can imagine. You know, everybody's coming in and saying goodbye or just wanting one more time and taste that bourguignon, that cassoulet, or that. Uh, Special of the day, whatever, just to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's rocking. Restaurants are, are, are very interesting places in that way. They, people meet and they gather and they have um, funerals and weddings and uh, lots of memories in a restaurant. It, and when they close, uh, they kind of feel like they take those, um, you know, when the restaurant closes, those memories go with it in a funny way. I, I'm very touched and humbled by how many people have had TBI telling me stories mm-hmm. of like, you know, we've been going to Rovers, we've been going to Luke, to Lule. You know, it's been 30 years we've been coming to your places, just like you, Tom. It's like we've been around, <laughs> sadly enough, we've been around forever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of memory that gets built up. And like you said, it's, it's, it's very, people have a hard time letting it go. They're like, oh, my God, we can't, wait, how, wait, how are we going to do this again? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so much to talk about today. It's a basil season. Uh, I've been eating a ton of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yesterday, uh, in our Carlisle menu tasting, we had a, just a pile of herb pesto all the herbs we could get, just made a little pesto out of it and stirred that in the fresh steamed mussels. Mm. So so tasty. What a fun way to kind of use up herbs and also just, you know, they just jump out at you. So we're going to talk about basil today. John Jenker is Senior Vice President of Charlie's Produce. We see his trucks all over, but we don't ever really talk about Charlie's Produce. That's right. I've been buying from them for almost 40 years. Likewise. And uh, Charlie is a friend of mine. Of uh, course. You, you always forget there's a person behind the word. So uh, I just was talking to Charlie yesterday. He's over in Sun Valley, Idaho. A warm weather pasta salads. Uh, one of my favorites is in big dinners. It uses lots of, uh, lots of uh, ricotta salada. Uh-huh. Uh, successful tips for sushi at home. Uh, Pamela, I'm not a sushi chef. I, I hope you're bringing something to this game right here of successful tips for sushi at home. 
I come from the beginner standpoint that wants to learn how to do it successfully. Oh, then, then we're going to be all at home then. That's good. We're all going to be at home for that. The renowned, the renowned uh, Bella Sanger is here, owner of Sri Bella, uh, talking about her uh, plant-powered foods. Lastly, we're going to play Food for Thought, Rub with Love, Tasty Trivia, It's Making a Return. Uh, and then, uh, tell, Pamela, tell us why you've got all these weird old snacks in front of us. People keep saying and thinking that they want to eat more vegetables, so the food industry is trying to sneak them in in the form of snacks and chips. And so I don't I, know. I tell, you, I tell you one thing: they're definitely doing a good job. If these are vegetables, I'm, I'm I'm good. So we're gonna have a hot stove society tasting panel today. In fact, we are. Okay, good. How about that? Uh, my taste of the week, and it's more of a technique. Uh, and I did it again last night. I, I do this pork roast every once in a while, but I really think that people forget. It's possible. They don't think about it. But I take it just a regular pork roast. And you know, when, when you get a pork loin roast and you get it bone in, that bone on the back of that pork roast is the baby back rib. Right. 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 So they're really tasty. It's fun to cook with the, that particular bone in because super tender and you can eat the whole around the bone and when you get your chop. But I did that whole <laughs> roast last night with, uh, you know, it's got a whole rack of ribs on the, on the back side of it. Um, but I larded the center of the loin with chorizo Ooh. and i just I, you know how you know how in the, in the old days we used to stick a knife in a roast and put yeah. a little clove of garlic in yeah. same thing i did with slices of chorizo and so when it's slowly roasted on the charcoal grill for a couple hours um i did it at low and slow like 275 300 that chorizo that fatty paprika lace garlicky chorizo kind of melts in yeah. the center of yeah, your pork there is, roast there's a little fat in there that yeah just, mm. and it's just uh it's just a fun thought. When you're doing a roast at home, you could even do that with a chicken breast if you wanted to. Right. You lard it with a little sliver of this or that. Any, anything that has a little thickness, you can put slight something into yeah. it. So, yeah. I just don't think people think to do that very much. So it's a technique this week for me. How about you, Chef? Well, I went to uh, Terra Plata. It was our 35th anniversary, and I hadn't been out in quite some time. And they have a beautiful terrace upstairs, uh, outdoor, you know, and it was really nice and convenient for that. And... They have all those separation, and it was really nice and safe and beautiful. And uh, we had a fabulous dinner. You know, Bill Morris, who was at Rovers a long time ago, then went on to be for many, many years at the, uh, at the, Club. At the Rainier Club. is um, now the chef at, uh, at Terra Plata. Oh, really? I thought and he was at Gourmando. Well, he was there for many years, also for many years uh -huh. at Gourmando after the, after the Rainier Club, but now he's a chef for Tamara. So... Um, you know, between him and, and Tamara being there, it was really nice to see them both. And uh, we had a fabulous dinner. Um, one of the tastes of the week for me, this, those little lamb riblets that she makes. She's been making those, as, I guess, for many years. But those are really delicious, like lamb ribs. You're mm -hmm. talking about ribs. And they're really beautifully made. They fall off right off the bone, come with labneh and, and um, chermula. You know, and it's really delicious. Nice spice dry on top. Um, Deli delicious. Hmm. I recommend a little snack over there. And I mean, that place is busy. We went very early thinking, we're going to be quiet. And then, we, mm -hmm. oh man, we got there, the place was already full. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. No, well, busy. it's a fabulous restaurant. Terrible. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And no, they do a fabulous job. Everything was delicious. We had plenty of little plates. And anyway. I used to eat in there a bit when we had serious pie in the roastery, the Starbucks roastery oh, yeah. up there. And I used to eat at Terra Plata quite a bit. And now I don't get up into that neighborhood because we don't have the pie there anymore. So, uh, but I, uh, I've always loved that restaurant. 
Great restaurants. Uh, okay, it's time for some basil. Let's uh, when we come back, let's uh, jump into how we use basil, all the different ways, how different aromatics, the different colors of basil. There's so much going on with that on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen here at the Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle. Uh, Chef, it's basil season. Uh, I know ours is uh, actually bolted a bit because Mm -hmm. it's so hot right now, but uh, it still can be used, and it can be used, I think, more wholly, and not not to be a pun on holy basil, (laughs) but but more wholly like the whole plant than what we think sometimes. Uh, Oftentimes I see people just taking every leaf off and throwing away every part of the stem. And really the stem is good, especially when you're making a pesto. Right. The stem is good down to where it's not – if it turns woody, then you have to get rid of it. Right. But it's good. All that top stem is, is just fine. But there's also a way to pick basil. I mean, basil is just like any plant. You pick the leaves. You know, you pick the big leaves first, obviously, but you don't cut you, the stem. You mean, oh, okay. So you mean in your garden. Yeah, in your yeah. garden. You just Or in your pot. You know, you buy a pot and you put it in your kitchen – you just take the leaves off and you make sure that the little growth stay there because they're going to grow to become the next leaves. So you have a plant that keeps giving. All you need to do with basil, the most important part is water. Every day, a little drop of water in there so it doesn't dehydrate because it dries out very fast and it bolts very fast. But if you don't, uh, if you keep watering it, it will give all summer long. And be patient when you start. You know, in the spring when you put your basil in, make sure you, it's sturdy and make sure that it grows to a good healthy plant. If it's a scrawny little thing, it's never going to become a big plant. You have to let it grow. Don't start picking before it's grown to, to maturity. See, I'm just the opposite a little bit. I like, I, you know, like on tomatoes where you pick the, the little growths in between the stem and the, yeah. uh, I, I kind of snip at the basal growth, the top growth, and take that little bud out so that it doesn't bolt and so that it forces growth down lower. Oh, no, no, no. That's exactly what I just said. Take well, you the said big, take the big leaves no, off. Exactly. The big leaves are usually on top and they usually come you know, and this, that's where the bolt starts coming from. You take those leaves out, but you leave the little growing leaves that are underneath the yeah. big leaves yeah. so then you can have the next harvest. Yes. And, you can, and the plant of basil can give for quite some time. And you're right. In the end, don't throw away the stems. Just put them in your last hurrah with your basil mm-hmm. and make a nice pesto. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, my favorite basil over the last 10 years... The Vietnamese basil, the Thai basil, yeah. and, uh, and I got, learned to love that obviously in the hot beef broth. And so, what's important about that is you got this big steamy bowl of soup, lots of sliced meats in it, rice noodles, all this stuff, and then along with your lime juice at the end, so it's right. not overcooked. You pop that basil in there, and it just blooms with uh, ar- ar- aromatics and deliciousness. And- I think I think Thai basil. The beauty of Thai basil is it goes really well in hot. In heat, mm-hmm. in food, you know, it, it does very well because, like you said, it blooms and it stays there. You know, you get that flavor. The sweet basil, I think, has a tendency to dissipate, dissipate and disappear a little bit with heat. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, the sweet basil, the normal leaf basil that you buy, is much more for finishing product on raw or even at the last minute on hot. But in broth, the Thai basil does super yeah. well. Let's talk about that for a second because the first time I ever had a basil pesto was in the city of Genoa, mm-hmm. in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, and I went there specifically for pesto because it's well known for right. that in that right. area. And uh, I was a little bit disappointed. It almost tastes like they had cooked the pesto. So for me, if I'm making pesto pasta, I boil my pasta. Right. 
I get it out through a strainer. I save myself just a little bit of uh, pasta water in case I need to rehydrate the pasta a bit. Uh, get it into a bowl, and then I stir in my basil. I never cook it, right? It's just oh, yeah. the, the hot pasta is all you need to cook that basil. And a, a good pesto, typically it has either walnuts or pine nuts. Uh, it's about, in my mind, Pasqualina Verde taught me that it was 70% basil, 30% flat leaf parsley. Right. Uh, lemon juice, olive oil, and uh, I always use Reggiano Parmesan. Yeah. Uh, and that, to me, is that's all your exactly, pesto. That's and, what it is. And you just stir it in with the hot pasta. You never cook it. I never cook it either. I don't believe in... I, again, sweet basil, I think, to me, is a finishing product that you introduce into a warm plate. or So the pesto, yeah, you don't cook the pesto. You just put it right in, and mm-hmm. that's what it's supposed to be. You get better flavor out of that than you will if you cook it. Because I agree that if you cook it, you're going to get that... It's going to be much more tame of a flavor, and quite frankly, if you start cooking it, the nuts and the cheese are going to be the main show, mm-hmm. and your basil is going to be third show. So, yeah. uh, Another thing I like, and again, uh, influenced by going to Vietnamese restaurants, uh, I, I used to just make a big bowl of salad, you know, like lettuce, tomatoes, yeah. cucumbers, whatever, and then make a dressing and put it on, and I was done. Right. Now, I never make a salad, especially a big, like, tossed salad like that. Without full whole leaves of basil, full leaves of mint, uh, full uh, like uh, sprigs—not the sprig, but full leaves of tarragon, mm-hmm. uh, anything like any of those soft herbs, parsley. Right. And now my salad, chervil, chervil. The salad jumps off the plate now because it's just got the pop of all those aromatic herbs right. in it, and it just it changes everything. Yeah, I mean the bites you're gonna have is not gonna be so. So just lettuce. I mean, lettuce in general doesn't have a strong flavor. You put those bites in there, it's really interesting to eat because you get those beautiful minty, in general, there's minty kind of flavor, there's fennel kind of flavor, there's all kind of different hint of, of herb, fresh herb that comes into your, into your mouth as you're eating those, those uh, leaves. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it enhances 100%. So there's some herbs that don't work, right? Uh, rosemary is too strong no. and too hard too tough. Hardy, sage Yeah, sage is a little... I guess you could shred, like, chiffonade sage, but it's another potent herb that kind of overpowers yeah, you don't rather than it. embellishes, yeah. right? I wouldn't put lavender, sage, rosemary. Even thyme is very... You Make sure you take just the blossom so it's tender enough not to be too strong in your mouth because mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to have... It's kind of like using cinnamon and just cinnamon. You know, you're going to have just that flavor. Mm. So you don't want to do that. You want to use those fresh herbs... Basically, the, the annual, not the perennial. You know, it's like you want to do just that. So, so now um, when you're preserving basil, because we are getting to that point of the year, we're starting yeah. to look at September now, yeah. October, and a lot of this stuff is going to go away. So now is a good time to get out your old ice cube trays and make your pesto and then freeze them in cubes, right? ice cube size uh, portion amounts, I would right. say. And then you pull all those out, put them in a Ziploc or something to kind of get the air out. And pop that into your pasta in November. It's going to be oh, delicious. Or, or my favorite is like you're making a winter minestrone soup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get the soup all done. You take the pot to the table. And then you put in your, your little uh, basil cube. Yeah. Or, and just Ooh, stir it la. in. Yeah, stir it in. Nice. And, you know, it's got garlic in it, too. I yeah. forgot to mention garlic earlier. So all that war- fragrance, because it's essentially raw, yep. uh, all that fragrance comes out with, from the hot broth of the minestrone soup. So, mm. And that works on any sort of beef barley soup. That yep. would work on any kind of thing. But you stir it in at the end. Even the you famous, don't cook it. Even the famous butternut squash soup, you put some nice basil pesto in there at the end. It's delish. You guys didn't talk about getting out your mortar and pestle for the 
uh, pesto. <laughs> well, What's you know, up with that? It's actually it's actually out all year round. But yes, you're right. You know, I don't know if you've known know this or not, but they have these modern conveniences. Yeah, exactly. Like no, no, food, no. food processors and no, blenders. I, I taught my husband how to do it, and now he loves just smashing away at. Well, the because garlic. you make a you can, if you're making a cocktail, that's a different thing. But I have those little. Those little uh, Mr. Bullet kind of little thing, man, that things work like this. Well, not only that, but if you're if you're processing enough to make even an ice cream yeah, exactly. tray of uh, basil pesto, you're gonna want to kill Pamela <laughs> uh, if you get in the middle, middle of that with a tiny little mortar and pestle. Yeah, that <laughs> where is that woman on the radio that said I should do it with a mortar and pestle? I'm gonna kill her. <laughs> Uh, John Janker's going to be here. He is uh, senior vice president of procurement for Charlie's Produce and. Uh, Pamela, you had an idea that you see all these Charlie's trucks. I see them when I go back and forth to the farm, these big semis. He's got like 500 trucks. Oh, my word. Uh, and what are they doing? Exactly. How does it work? How does, uh, when you walk into the grocery store, how is it that everything looks so beautiful and fresh? And, and so uh, Charlie's is the link in that chain. And that's what we need to know because they're the lifeline for Washington farmers, frankly. There you yeah. go. All right, that's when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. You're smack dab in the middle of it. My name is Tom Douglas. And mine is Thierry Rotiro, the chef in a hat. John Janker is uh, joining us by phone. He's the senior vice president of procurement for Charlie's Produce and plays a critical, uh, which, which plays a critical role in our a fresh food system here in the Northwest. They're a giant amongst their peers. And, uh, John, tell us about uh, your relationship with Charlie's. And then uh, I think Pamela's intent here, uh, and mine too, is to f- figure out how when we walk into a grocery store uh, that uh, it happens to have everything you could possibly want and in the most perfect shape you could want it. Uh, so let's start with uh, you and uh, what you do for Charlie's, and then maybe we'll get to the grocery part. All right, sounds good, and thank you for having me. Well, I'm uh, I'm a produce veteran, been in the business for about 46 years. Um, started in the actually farming and in the field, picking and packing and processing products, and delivering it to wholesale. Worked my way up through uh, into the retail segment, uh, and eventually into wholesale where I am today. I've been at Charlie's Produce for 15 years. Um, Worked for some other major corporations in the country uh, prior to that, and having them here in Seattle and, and doing what I do. Uh, my role is um, managing the procurement for our company, um, dealing with our vendors and ensuring that we have the right uh, products and, and uh, uh, vendor and growing relationships that uh, we need to take care of our business. So, so John, you said you manage the procuring. So what I know about Charlie's is that, um, and, and you might not think about this if you're out there just on your way to the grocery store, but you have a potato and onion buyer. You have a lettuce buyer. You have a fresh berry buyer. You, I mean, you have specialists in pretty much every category of the grocery store produce aisle. Yes, we do. Um, and multiple, as we have multiple distribution uh, uh, warehouses across the West Coast. So, so how does that work? So uh, if I'm the potato buyer, what am I trying to do other, other than get the amount of potatoes that I need? Is there, how do you get the best potatoes and how, how, do you send people out to test them in the fields or, or do people send you samples? How does it all work? Well, all of the above. Uh, many times we, we enjoy getting out and seeing our vendor community and getting out and knowing them. I think relationships are key 
in our industry. We also have many vendors that are approaching us or growers approaching us with their products and what they have to sell and market. Um, so pretty much all of the above. I got a few ideas. I think one of the questions was, how does produce get to the grocery stores? Is that accurate? Yep. Yeah, so I guess the, the short answer to that is, you know, through wholesale distribution. And that's where Charlie's Produce comes into the picture. Now, there's a, a lot longer answer to that. It's a lot more complex, and I'll try to break that down a little bit in some, and talk about some of the components and how the wholesale distribution, distribution process works. Let's start with the vendors and the growers uh, that we procure products from. Our buyers work with these individuals forecasting our needs and different commodities that, that the buyers manage. Um, many times that's a category manager as well. The product is harvested and packed by growers and then sold by them or their marketing arm. Not all growers actually sell their own product. Many have marketing companies they work work through. Yeah. That product is then shipped to our distribution warehouses where it's received, checked for quality, accuracy of the order, and then slotted in the correct location in the warehouse that the product requires. Lots of different requirements within the warehouse and how we handle product to ensure that the product is handled properly. We then receive orders from our customers, much much like you. Uh, those orders are reviewed, picked, and consolidated and put on our trucks that will then go up on routes to get delivered to the to the customers. Our customers then receive that product at their location, and that process starts all over again, where they then put it on their shelves uh, for the consumer to buy and enjoy. We use a warehouse management system to track all of this, so the buyers know what we have, where it's located, what it's due in, and how the sales and inventory compare for ordering purposes. You know, as we all know, produce is, uh, has a, you know, fresh produce has a lifespan. So you can imagine how important it is to have a good inventory and sales data to ensure inventory turns and get the product to the grocery stores as quickly and as fresh as possible. So that's in general how the wholesale distribution process works. Isn't it crazy the the amount of volume? Uh, I don't know how many trucks Charlie has. I, I was guessing closer to 500 trucks these days. But, uh, you know, a typical, you you might take a, an item like a strawberry that somebody's having a sale on the local strawberries, you might take an entire truckload to one store, and you got to figure that out to get that to maybe five or eight stores. You right? have to you have to figure out that it's not going to rot before you sell it <laughs> before you get it to the store. Exactly, like fresh strawberries, they don't they don't have but twenty four hour shelf life, really. Yeah, I mean, that's a short time. Yeah, you have to move around, and so how do you deal with that, John? Well, there you certainly are hitting on some challenges. Not any one grower or vendor will necessarily have the product of our needs. So in many cases, it's like, you know, you, the old saying, you never put all your eggs in one basket. We we deal with many, many different vendors um, um, that uh, help us keep our supply line intact. Uh, we, in, from a freshness perspective, we, once again, ship up and down the West Coast. We also have a distribution center up in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. So you can imagine that extra transit time to get a fresh strawberry to Alaska for those consumers up there to enjoy. Yeah. Wow. Um, or the cruise ships or wherever else uh, I see your trucks heading off to. Uh, Absolutely. The other thing that uh, I'm really impressed with, Charlie himself, uh, Charlie I've known for uh, many, many years, obviously, but very philanthropic uh, when it comes to how he supports our community, uh, both with fresh produce and with dollars. Oh, absolutely. Um, he is very involved in the industry as well as what our partners, uh, um, our customers and, and employees are doing. Very important to him. Yeah. John, what um, could you tell us what the trend in organic consumption versus standard commodity produce is? Well, the, the organic uh, segment continues to grow. Um, uh, I would say we typically see close to double digits every year. 
Uh, today, organics represents in our in our business probably 22 to 24 percent of our business, uh, which is pretty quite high. Yeah, that that is double from the last time I checked in on the data. <laughs> so, uh, when you're talking to Washington farmers, are you coordinating their conversion to organic, or uh, do you need to supply? both uh, traditional agriculture and organic for your customers? Well, we do We do have to supply both conventional and organic. There is a need for both. Um, there certainly has been a movement um, in the organic uh, field as growers are becoming actually better growers in some aspects of growth by growing organically. Um, there, there are less costs at times um, growing organically and fertilizers and some of the, the products that they need to use. But at the same time, some of those costs are sometimes offset by fewer, you know, less yield and or other difficulties from Mother Nature. <laughs> but uh, we, we, work, we work hand in hand with those farmers and growers and producers to understand what our needs are and what we're looking for. And uh, actually, we actually have... Uh, we contract out with many local growers uh, in our own label called Farmer's Own. I saw that on the website. Could you talk about that for a minute? Well, Farmer's Own was a co-op that um, uh, that was out there many, many years ago that Charlie's decided to buy and help. Um, they were struggling to get their products, small little small farms and agriculture products, into mainstream and understand how to pack it and have it in uh, the type of products that the retail and sometimes even food service customers need it. So we saw the opportunity there to uh, join forces with them and help them understand how to grow it, how to package it, how to ship it, how to get it through the wholesale distribution um, system. So that's uh, that's uh, thrived over the years. Uh, that was a local program only for us up here in the Northwest. But as you, um, as you know, we've expanded up and down the West Coast. And with that, we've expanded that brand as well. I don't see it branded like that in the stores, though. So it's just to the the customers. If you see Husky produce in the stores, that's a Charlie's brand. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Husky is you know not necessarily at the University of Washington either. It's actually uh, arrived up in, from the Alaska division. It certainly looks like the uh, University of Washington, but doesn't have the affiliation with it, and is not an organic product. It just happens to be our one of our uh, potato brands that we have out there. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's quite the story, the success story from when Charlie first started uh, delivering to me in the back of his truck to where he is today. It's very impressive yes. and uh, couldn't be more proud, like I said, of his philanthropic. Four, Forty years later, this, this is definitely yeah. a, a great story. Yeah, indeed. We've been talking with John Janker, Senior Vice President of Procurement for Charlie's Produce. And uh, we see their trucks all over town. You certainly see them in front of our restaurants and, and your restaurants. Yep. And uh uh, it's nice to know how that actually works, where you get uh, such a nice variety of perfectly ripe produce, good avocados. You know, they have ripening rooms for mm -hmm. tomatoes, avocados, you name it. Uh, so it's an it's a interesting process to get produce to the marketplace. Thank you, John. Up next, it's uh, time to make some pasta salad with all those mm. fresh veggies that we've been talking about on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's pasta salad season here at the Hot Stove Society Show. Uh, it is the perfect summertime treat for picnics and for your, your big dinner tables. Like I had a dinner for 10 last night at my house of my sisters in town, and my niece was in town, and my other sister was in town, and blah, blah, blah. So 
We and my, my nephew Mike uh, was in town. He runs Holt Stove Brewing down there. So anyway, we had a little dinner on our front porch. It was too hot on the back porch, and we had pasta salad to go along with everything that <laughs> we were so cool. that we were making. Um, Pasta salad, chef. It's uh, so, probably doesn't to me. It doesn't sound like an area that you live in very much, but I don't know. I, I live in the salad department, but the pasta, uh, not as often quite, you know, used to it. But if I'm definitely, if I would be doing something like you were last night, a big table, in a in a very hot night, I would definitely think pasta salad. That would be pasta salad, potato salad, those salad, you know, summer salad are definitely something that would come to mind. So. I think the most important part is what do you have to cook with in terms of vegetables? Because when I think pasta salad, the first thing I think about is the vegetable are going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this time of the year, there's so much on the market. So, so, you, so you think you always put vegetables with it? Well, in this, in, time, in of the, mind, in yeah. this time of the year, when yeah. I think pasta salad, the first thing I think about is grilled vegetable that I'm going to chop and then put into my salad. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that comes to mind. So that would be delicious. Grilled zucchini, grilled radicchio, ah, grilled anything. Everything, be good. even good even. I mean salad. onions. You know, you throw that on the grill just to give it a nice little char flavor, and then you dice that. A nice little dressing to go with it. It could be a lemon, olive oil, very simple. Uh, maybe some toasted nuts. You know, like almond or even pine nuts. Put that together, and then you put the, use the pasta as a as a starch vessel, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, the pasta is actually important in comparison of what you're going to make for vessel because not everything sticks to a pasta. I mean, if you had a nice fettuccine and you had some heavy uh, grilled vegetable in dressing, I think it wouldn't really stick together and it would not be a good companion. You need to find something like an orchette, you know, something that can carry the, the goods with it. So when you eat, you're actually eating both of them at mm-hmm. the same time. But other than that... Yeah, linguine doesn't work. No, no. no. I mean, that's what I was saying. It's like, you know, a little spaghetti with your, with your grilled vegetable is not going to work. So. But the idea for me, when I think pasta salad, I always think about first... I don't think of the pasta first. I think of the, the stew that's going to go with it mm-hmm. to make sure that that has the flavor because that's what's going to give the flavor. So, um, But very simply, I mean, this time of year, you just take vegetables and you throw them on the grill again. And then you make a nice little dressing. Yeah, there's all sorts of things you can do. Uh, I think a classic for me is pea and ham with pasta. Like oh, yeah. A, like, like the orchietti or cavatelli or something like that, That any sort of uh, like corkscrew pasta or something. Where you, In that scenario, in my mind, like let's say you're having orzo, pea, and ham right. with some feta cheese. Right. In that scenario, your pasta is really only 50% of that bowl. Correct. And the other 50% is your, your peas, your ham, all your herbs, your dressing. But I think sometimes people over-pasta pasta salad. Yeah. I, def- I, I, think it's mo- I think it's most of the time. Yeah, because it should. I, to me, it just gets to be a big pile of right. a wet noodle, literally. I'm, I'm much more interested in, in eating the grilled vegetable seasoned than I'm interested in eating the actual pasta by itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, don't want, I want the pasta to be kind of like the slice of bread next to your entree. That's what the pasta is to me. It's like a little starch adding to your, to your salad just to give it another component. Mm-hmm. But... I'm not looking forward to eat just pasta and a little bit of grilled vegetable. I want more grilled vegetable. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, it's a, yes, I'm with but you. I, I think that's a common mistake people, people make with pasta salad. Right. It's too much pasta. Correct. Uh, other, other ways to go about it, uh, dressing-wise, I mean, vinaigrette is the classic. Um, in my book, uh, Tom's Big Dinners, I made a mac and cheese pasta salad. So I took the little uh, corkscrew pasta, uh-huh. cooked it off like you would, 
And then I made a buttermilk ranch dressing, yeah. basically. That so would be delicious. I had the, you know, grated the cheese into it. Uh, it's got chives and, and all that sort of thing, all kinds of vegetables and stuff, but fresh peas. Um, but uncooked, right? What, the peas? The buttermilk. The buttermilk is uncooked, yeah. yeah it's but you have to have plenty. So uh, al dente pasta is going to soak up your dressing so fast. Right. So for me, if you're, unless you're ready to put it on the table and sit down and eat, I wait to dress my pasta salad until I'm ready to eat. If right. not, you're gonna, it's going to soak it all up, and you're going to have to dress it again. Correct. And now you've got kind of a big oily bowl of pasta. You've got too much dressing, right. but it, you, it doesn't feel like it because the pasta has absorbed it. Correct. So No, I'm, I'm with you. I think it... Like if you make a big pasta salad to go in the park and have a big party or whatever, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that you season your vegetable, you dress your vegetable, keep them separate, and then at the last minute, mix the whole thing together, yeah. finish with a nice little drizzle of olive oil, below, below sea salt, and fresh herb. Put some fresh basil at the end, mm-hmm. you know, and toss that together. Now your pasta is going to have a beautiful layers of flavor. Yeah. And it's going to be seasoned all the way around. But bring that dressing in a separate container. Correct. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and mix it in a big bowl in the park when you're ready to eat, mm-hmm. as opposed to five hours before, and then you'll have no flavor of that because it's going to be soaked up. Yeah. Agree. Agreed. Agreed on agree on this one. <laughs> Pamela, you're a pasta salad queen. Oh, what's your, yeah. What's your, favorite, uh, what's your favorite way to eat? I really love olives. Yes. Got to have some chopped olives. Absolutely. And... Um, a garlicky slant on green goddess, uh-huh. and it's got to be fusilli. Fusilli. They're, they're one of the best carrier of any, exactly. anything on the pasta, yeah. All those Because no- it gets between all those different... Yeah, the nooks and crannies and just... Mm. The but- fusilli is the one that looks like a corkscrew, mm-hmm. you know, and so the, the food you gets... You mean in- like the one here in my book, the picture in my book here? <laughs> Correct. Correct. Okay. Oh, you have a book? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Huh. I know. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Douglas has a cookbook. Yep. But anyway. the late addition of the dressing is new to me. So that is, that's a pro tip right there. Well, worth, worth coming to the show today. To me, to me, I think that if I do the grilled vegetable salad, I'd season the vegetable and I wait to put them with the pasta at the last minute, like Tom was saying, and then I season the whole thing again and give it, mm. you know, this is when the pasta gets the flavor. And if you do it too early, it's, it's right. It's going to dissipate the flavor and it's not going to be as good. And again, if you keep and adding, it eats dry, right? It and if eats you keep, really dry, so yeah. the bottom line is, you keep adding dressing and you keep adding, you know, more seasoning to your pasta, but it already has the flavor because it's, it's just because it swallowed it. So now you're gonna <laughs> now you're gonna be having double the amount, and it's gonna get greasy or too rich or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's gonna have a different flavor. Is a potato the same? Like weight to dress your potato salad? Well, I, like- I, I, I think so. Unless you're doing that classic Americana mayonnaise dressing, right? Where you've put so much dressing on, the potato can't absorb it all. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like thirty percent dressing. It's nice to have a like if you're making a, a lemon vinaigrette, lemon olive oil, and whatever kind of vinaigrette with mustard. You put that on top of your pasta. So what it does is your first bite of of or potato. I mean, your first bite of potato. You're going to have the dressing on it, but you're also going to taste the potato. You know, the inside of the potato is going to taste like a potato, which is what you're trying to do, right? Instead of having something that's totally soaked up with complete dressing and everything, it's going to be a much better flavor, I think. Yeah. So, the other thing you have to do with pasta salad, you have to eat it with a, 
a bottle of rosé. <laughs> Let's make that into a that law. Is, that is the law. For some reason, pasta salad and rosé are a classic combo. Well, especially when it's 90 Lit. degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> and if not one, then two bottles of rosé. Yeah. In the middle of winter when you're making your nice uh, canned tomato ragu with some uh, beef cheeks and pasta, then you can have a nice bottle of over there. <laughs> All right, we've got a big second hour coming up. Our tasting panel here examines chips made from or puffs made from vegetables. Uh, Bella Sanger is going to be here. Uh, we have, of course, your Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love. All that over the next hour. And when we come back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen, it's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. <laughs> yes, you're in the middle of a hot debate here at the Hot Stove Society. We're on the tasting panel journey. My name is Tom Douglas. And mine is with my mouthful, Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Yeah, he hates every bite that he's just taken, but his mouth is full. So go figure. <laughs> go figure that. Pamela, do you want to tell us what uh, what's going on? Oh, by the way, welcome back to the show. I'm sorry we were kind of like... Getting into an argument here about this, the intent of these snacks in front of us. Uh, but I will tell you, we have a, a big uh, last hour of the show coming up. Uh, Bella Sanger is going to be here with her with her uh, product line called Sweet Bella Foods. With and um, what else? My mouth is so full of, of sorghum heat right Sean's now. Sean's going to tell us about his COVID adventures with sushi at home. Oh, good. How about that? Nice. And of course, we're going to finish up today with the food for thought, rub with love, tasty trivia. On Cairo. So. But first. But first, let's jump into our Hot Stove Society tasting panel. We haven't had one in a while. And Pamela, you have brought this to us this morning. My guess is with an agenda. <laughs> the, I was very proud of my position of chief vegetable officer with this company mm-hmm. and always looking for ways to get people to eat their vegetables. So there's this explosion in the chip aisle of products made from vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I think the intent is to bring people to the category, but I don't know if they're succeeding with these products. Uh-huh. And and do they really lend themselves to this format? So, okay. uh, And so can I guess where I was getting into the argument before was, do you feel like the effort is just to get you to eat more vegetables? Yes. They're or trying do to you be- feel like the effort is to get... Uh, a more a healthier, crunchy, crispy, salty thing that people seem to love to chew on. Well, that second one is probably correct. Because that to me is where you guys are missing the boat a little bit. Is that, yeah, of course that doesn't taste like Brussels sprouts over there, but it, it's a salty, crispy crunch is what they're going for. So, in my opinion, so that's they've all, accomplished that's, that. They've accomplished. Yes, they certainly. How's that? But I think they. It, I think. They want to lead people to say, oh, if I like uh, Brussels sprouts in this crispy puff, maybe I'll try eating the Brussels sprout. Yeah, I, don't, I think they're just trying to make a dollar. I think Tom is definitely on the ball. I think it's proof that they're just they're trying to make yeah. a dollar and they're trying to make it in an aisle with the idea and the concept that if we mention the word vegetable, it might be more successful in 2021 to sell a crispy, dry, tasteless product. No. Right. So, a, salty. An ounce of potato chips in a bag is 140 calories. That's a lot. Uh, an ounce of plant-based vegan Rob's Dragon Puffs made with sorghum and a bunch of spices uh, and sunflower oil, nutritional yeast, blah, 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 
140 calories. So they're not really trying to make you anything. They're not making you healthier. They're giving you the same amount of calories. But somehow or another, they're telling you that this Dragon Puff is more healthy than a potato chip. Well, I think they're trying to expose people to the other ingredients. Maybe so. Maybe I so. think I think I think I think you're right, Pam. You're looking. You're trying to look at it from the what you would do if you were the one doing that. It's not what they're doing. I think Tom is right. I think <laughs> there, there's no altruistic end game here. No. in my opinion. No. So it's, I think it's the snack aisle. I just think all. it's a snack <laughs> dry. I mean, t- to okay, me, so. if I was going to the moon tomorrow, that's what I would want to take with me because that stuff would be light. It wouldn't take any weight. It wouldn't take any space, and it would be. I can chew on it for a while, and it's good. But this is what you'd want to take to the moon with you. Well, I mean, Tom, you just said that. Exactly. That's what they would give you. You just told me you hated this, and uh, I would, I, of course, but I, now you're going to take it all the way to the moon. Well, no, it's, that's I more than ta- a quarter I ca- million cannot, miles I, each way. I cannot take a scrambled egg and caviar or beautiful fresh cheese omelette. You don't know. Okay, so what we're tasting here in our panel is vegan Rob's Dragon Puffs. Uh, they say go be uh, go vegan uh, sorghum baked puffs. We have 18 karat gold carrot chips. We have uh, the Terra brand, uh, and they're well known out there in the marketplace, been around for years. Uh, this particular batch that Pamela brought today is plantains. And by, by chance, my least favorite thing on the table. <laughs> yeah, oh. me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. I, you know why? Because no. it looks like the, the closest thing to the real thing, and it's the worst thing of the whole table. <laughs> we have bean fields, black bean with sea salt, uh, kind of like tortilla chips. And, uh, Terry, why don't you read that last one down there? We also have hip peas uh, with nacho vibe. Uh, and these are uh, like, a, like a chickpea flour, rice flour, sunflower oil, tapioca starch. You know, they're just little, like, puffs. Yeah. Like Cheetos. Puffs. Cheese that goes puff. Correct. Yes. Okay. And, and then uh, we also have vegan Rob's who's doing a sorghum Brussels sprout puff. And it's plant-based and crunchy. It's full of goodies. Uh, first thing is organic sorghum. Second thing is grain meal. Third thing is sunflower oil. Nutritional yeast, rice bran, and then Brussels, Brussels sprout. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, now it doesn't surprise me. It didn't taste like Brussels sprout. I tested it and I was like, mm. So I think this company needs to hire people like me and you, Tom. At least me. I don't know about you. But I, I would love to uh, try to come up with things that actually taste like what the item is. I know that ultimately this is not the goal maybe for some of them to just make a crunchy, salty puff or crispy or whatever. But to me, I think the success of this company would be in the future to make it so that it's actually made with a Brussels sprout that tastes like Brussels sprout. So are or, you saying when you're watching a movie uh, like Lord of the Rings uh, that you really do want to eat a Brussels sprout, something that so, tastes like a Brussels sprout? So <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm watching Lord of the Rings and I want to eat something... And it says Brussels sprout. I'm going to be too lazy to go up and cut the Brussels sprout and put them in the oven and roast them, right? That's, that would be the logic behind eating this stuff. Instead, if I eat something with Brussels sprout, I'm going to buy and pay for something that tastes like Brussels sprout because that's what I'm actually looking for. Yeah. Not something that tastes not like Brussels sprout that says it's made with Brussels sprout. Did you like any of them and which one would you buy? The, the bean, to me, the black bean was the closest thing to a tasting of a black bean. And I was still even not as close as it could be. I don't understand how they don't get the flavor of the product. The carrot doesn't even taste like carrot. I'm like, why is that? Because you don't use good carrots or something. No, they use perfectly fine carrots, but they deep fry them, and, and they're 140 calories to <laughs> an ounce, just like everything else. Uh, for me, of, of this batch, the hippies would be my 
choice if I'm sitting down to watch Lord of the Rings and I, I don't have anything but these five bags of vegan snacks in front of me, I would choose the hippies because I think they accomplish what I think they're trying to do, which is give you a, a like a, a salty, crunchy something mm-hmm. like popcorn, right? right. Uh, but uh, but normally I would just make popcorn, right? Exactly, I, which turns out to be vegan too. Who knew? Exactly. <laughs> Until you I know. put a pound of butter on top. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you probably would be popping a little bit higher than 140 calories with just popcorn. But that's okay. Popcorns are delicious. Yeah. And by the way, calories, so people stop with that. Calories is not all bad for you. You need, you need calories. You need them. So let's not fool ourselves by the number of calories. It's more importantly to me than it tastes good because you eat in moderation. You eat, get, you're going to eat one night that bag of chips. You're not going to eat that every day, obviously. All right. It's time <laughs> to impress your friends with good sushi rice. The freshest fish. Any combo of veggie. Easy to roll with a sushi mat. Or just throw it together as a chirashi bowl. Let's talk about that when we come back on the Hot Stove Society show. It's Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. We're back in the kitchen. It's the Hot Stove Society kitchen radio show. We're here every week on Saturday and Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Uh, still have a few more segments coming up. One with Bella Sanger. who uh, uh, Didn't she recently teach a class here at the Hot Stove? Not too recent, Not but yeah, she's but been she's, here. She's yes. done it here and... Also, uh, we've got, uh, we're going to wrap up our hour with uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. Pamela, you uh, are a, a newcomer, a big fan of sushi rice. And uh, you, you put this in here because, uh, as you normally do when you sneak in little segments, it's really more about you than it is yes, about it is. anything. Yeah. She's in, in shock, so she can pick and choose. There's a long tradition, uh, Amy before you and Tina before her. <laughs> Uh, we're very self-serving in the segments that they decided to put on the show. Exactly. And I think it's uh, the thing that sometimes happens with us, Chef Terry and I, is that we have been doing this for so long, we get a little chefy on things. And so I think that's a, val- a valuable input. When yeah. And I think our listeners should always feel free to kind of uh, email us or something. And there, there's an area that they want to learn more about. Oh, yeah, we'd love that. Because uh, some of us are professional cooks. Others of us are uh, home cooks. You're a fabulous home cook, but you've always been a home cook, except for when, <laughs> when you were a restaurant manager in Connecticut, weren't you like a, a hippie restaurant manager, vegan restaurant? No, I was the chef. That's you were the so, chef? That's what's so frightening. <laughs> I did not know that. Is that restaurant still open? No. Oh. <laughs> we're not even going to say how many years ago that is, but that was a long time ago. Uh, and so, anyway, so she does have a, a natural curiosity for cooking, like a lot of home cooks do, that want yes. to either <laughs> improve or expand their horizons. So, tell us about sushi rice and what your what your interest is. Well, I um, because I was a hippie, I grew up on brown rice, uh-huh. um, but. You know, it never gets that delicious. <laughs> I disagree with you. That's so funny. Of all things, get, me coming to the defense of a, a of bra- a, no, not so much of brown rice, but of you maligning brown rice. <laughs> I know. But once I started experimenting with the cow rose, and the the recipe that really tipped me over was fried rice because mm-hmm. I never ate that, never. But then. Um, during the pandemic, less shopping trips, trying to cook from the refrigerator, and thinking about fried rice, you've, you've got to have that good, soft, cold 
right, rice. Right, right, sticky. For su- sticky for success. Yeah. So that's when I started just using it more broadly for many applications. And, of course, sushi's part of that journey. Mm-hmm. So, so to be specific, if you're in the grocery store right now, you're going to go look for Cal Rose Nico Nico rice, right? Is that, yep. what's, is, is that what you're considering sushi rice? Yes. Yes, and it's a sticky rice. Because, you know, sushi rice is different in the nature of it's, it's rice like that, but then it's been chilled and dressed with a seasoned vinegar, right? Yes, that and, is. And it's, and it's fanned out. You know, they, they fan it and they mix the vinegar into it to get that at certain texture. Uh, and so you could have the rice that they use for sushi, but the sushi rice is, is seasoned. Is all seasoned and ready right. to go for yeah. nigiri, which is the rice. When you order nigiri at a Japanese restaurant, you're ordering the little rice ball with the piece of raw fish over top or, or some sort of. Where sashimi is just a sliced fish with no rice, no underneath. rice underneath. Correct. Yes. I was just clarifying. So <laughs> for our you. listeners, that they that no, they no, weren't trying sure. to buy the, the the wrong thing. Okay. And and the rice should be uh, not cold, but still like slightly warm. Yeah. Before you put yeah. your fish on it. So. Yeah. If you go into a nice sushi restaurant, which is what made everyone all the Japanese chefs crazy when you started to get the sushi craze in grocery stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the rice was cold yeah. and it just was not up to the same par right uh but uh, yeah the rice should definitely be maybe room temperature or even a touch warmer yeah touch warmer, not yeah. a problem to- oh the first time i had that i thought it was because the the first time i had sushi was cold rice the second or third time i had it i had it the right way i thought oh my god this is like the difference between day and night mm-hmm. i mean the difference when that rice is like warm slightly warm it's such a different experience. First of all, the rice is like elevated by a hundred pounds. You know, it's like it's like so different. And then the the fact that you're eating that mouthful of the fish with that, the cold fish and that. Oh. Okay, so let's go back to your bowl idea. The um, how, how do you say it? Chirashi bowl. Chirashi. Chirashi. <laughs> Chirashi. Uh, so now you've got. Uh, let's just say you've got. You, you've steamed your rice. You've fanned it with and then seasoned it with seasoned uh, rice vinegar. And you fanned it, so now it's got that beautiful, um, it's almost like pearls now. Right. That rice becomes very pearlescent. Uh, and you pack, your, you pack your bowl with that. And then if you want to add on top of that, you add your sliced tuna or a little bit of seaweed or um, do you have any other favorite ingredients? Uh, the flying fish roe, tobiko? Well, I was trying to learn how to make sushi, but then Annie, who I'd like to bring over to tell me, uh, introduced me to a chirashi bowl, and it seems less intimidating, but has all the great ingredients. So chirashi bowls is almost kind of like the Chinese version of fried rice, but Mm -hmm. you get like the rice and then whatever leftover from the night before, let's just say um, saute, you know, like soy sauce, beef. Um, vegetables that you have. Normally, I really like to have mine with like salted bean sprouts, um, some greens, saute greens with garlic, mm-hmm. pickles like pickled ginger, uh, any like you know, you know beef like ter- takoyaki or anything fried, even just meat on it, and an egg on it, uh, and you know some sort of sauce, even just like a soy sauce with mirin. Um, just to kind of sweeten up the rice a little bit. It's pretty simple. It's pretty much, it's, it's 
It's leftovers. Yeah, it's yeah. leftovers. Uh-huh. It's called scatter bowl, mm-hmm. and it just you just put it on top of the rice with whatever you have. So cold, uh, the rice is cold or is it hot? Not. It doesn't have to be hot. Uh, it can be room temp. Okay. But can, you don't want to eat cold rice anyway. So no, exactly. hard. Yeah. So it's room temp or hot, whatever you want. But it's abundant of vegetables that left over from the night before, and then just one protein. Or if you want a vegetarian, you can just have like a hard boy egg or soft boy eggs on top of that. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much a bowl of nutritious right there. Mm. And I, I think it's an alternative when you get scared about rolling sushi. Mm-hmm. Right. If you just want to layer. But Sean, you had some tips. Uh, that's well. I was just going to get to that. Um, a- few key points. The rice, of course, which I think you covered pretty well. Uh, for me, I found the general recipe, two parts water to one part rice, always does pretty well, depending, you know, people have different kitchen equipment and stuff, so it can vary, but for 10 to 15 minutes, and then let it sit for five, it will cook, you know, nice. It should come cleanly off the bottom of the pan. If your rice is kind of sticking to the bottom of the pan, you're not kind of, you might be overcooking it. But um, yeah, just the rice itself, I was never good at making sushi at home and it was always kind of a just my achilles heel but i not to toot our own horn but our chef instructor jamie freeman did a sushi class here and i learned a few key things um i I think the rice is key but also have have fun just building your knife skills and uh get the uh, sushi approach to mise en place is Mm -hmm. beautiful itself you know they sort of have these bamboo boxes and they organize so i i think you know, don't go out and spend a lot of money on this amazing fish. Right. It, it adapts perfectly to all types of vegetables, your green onion, carrots, sprouts, right. avocado, always great. Um, and just kind of have a field day and have fun with it. For me, the pickled ginger is like, yeah, I could put that on anything and it becomes a sushi. A party. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. So uh, have fun. In uh, uh, I don't think, I don't know if a lot of people know about the... QP mayo also for a poke bowl just like ups your game. QP mayo, sweet uh, sweet soy. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of good little yeah. dressings to put on your right. your yeah. bowl. Good way it's to. a it's a fun thing to entertain with other people too. So it's it's a very good thing to have when you have guests who like to play a little bit in the kitchen. Definitely, just, just have them roll the you know take that bamboo roller and then roll roll the uh, sushi with you. You know, it's like it's nice, it's fun. Yeah. And and like you said, you don't need fish. You can do vegetables. Absolutely, you especially know, if you're just starting out. Don't yeah. waste the money on the fish. Right, just... right. And if you go to Wajimaya, like just walk down the the pickle aisle and you'll see all the kind oh, yeah. of cool oh, Japanese yeah. pickles, have... verdict root, plums, all sorts of things that would make great futamaki. Uh, the big vegetable futamaki um, roll. So. Up next, uh, Bella Sanger is going to join us with uh, Siri Bella Foods, and we're going to talk about uh, how she's doing with her to-go products. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society Show. Thank you for hanging with us. We appreciate it. Chef Terry and the Chapeau. Uh, yes, sir. You're heading off to see Brandy Carlisle this weekend, is that right? That's correct. In the gorge. Well, that's only if I can get away from 20,000 people. Otherwise, I'm not going. You want your own box. That's right. I yeah. want my own. Actually, I, I don't want to. bring it to you. There's no boxes at the gorge. <laughs> Maybe there are. What do I know? Bella Sanger is here. She created Siri Bella Foods to be gourmet but approachable, single and multi-portion meals premium fresh sauces bella you've been here before you used to be a, one of the presenters here at the hot stove and you've been in this game this food game for a long time and 
Yes, tell I us have. about your life. How did COVID affect you? Where you're from? Well, all the cool things that you do. Oh, thanks, Tom. Yeah, and I do miss being here. So I'm excited to cook with you again one day. Um, COVID, COVID's been a little tough, you know, mm-hmm. and as you know, in the food space, uh, it's been a little hard. We shut down for a couple months and we reopened. So that was a big win. Being able to traverse the pandemic waters was great learning opportunity, really rich for us as a team, um, to pivot. So that was really great. Where am I from? I'm from India. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? I was yes. born in India. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was, uh, I was there until I was five. And that's one of the things I love talking about. So thanks for asking me. In fact, the reason I started Sri Bella decades later was because of some very moving experiences I had as a little girl living in India. And I want to tell a little bit about that today. Okay. So in my village where I was born, there was so many different belief systems and people that made up this group of people that were living together cohesively. There was Hindus, Muslims, Jains, and that's kind of unheard of in India because of post-partition and all of that stuff. It was a really beautiful childhood. And the one memory I have is every autumn during harvest season, everybody would get together in a little Muslim uh, um, temple to celebrate harvest. And we would celebrate it by sharing saffron coconut rice with currants and clarified butter and so delicious and that's the one memory i have that i never forget that always makes my heart bloom and make me feel so loving and when i decided to do a 180 in my professional life i think it was that memory and that feeling that was continually hearkening back to me and i said okay there's a thread here i have to follow it so i really believe in the transformative power of food and i think that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to do with my life. And you're, you're bringing such authentic, or le- what do I know about authentic Indian food? But <laughs> what feels authentic to me, it feels close to the heart and, and close to the spirit of what uh, I, I would think Indian food is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we do a really great job. One of the cool things about my life story is that, um, you know, I was born in India, so I have this soulful, gourmet kind of background, but Indian food. But I also, like you, am a culinarian in a spirit of openness and curiosity curiosity about global food and technique. And so what we do at Sri Bella is we really offer a gourmet and authentic version of Indian food. And I'm so proud of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the greens are not overcooked. They're a vegetal. They're a light. You don't feel heavy, but they're still very strong global flavors that are really craveable, which is hard to do when you're mass producing food. Mm-hmm. But I'm really, really proud of bringing that gourmet experience to people's kitchens. Where can people find your food at this point? So, you know, through COVID, we did a little pivot to grocery. We entered Mm -hmm. grocery space sooner than we thought we were going to, and I'm so grateful that we were able to make that turn. So today you can find us at Met Market, Amazon Go Grocery, all the Go stores, eathomegrown.com. There's so many other places. We're going to be at Hagen soon. Look for us in the Kroger group in the fall. So, um, yeah, we're going to be at a lot of places where you can get our awesome, delicious premium goods. And so, so I'm sorry about that, Terry, but no, okay. uh, I was just going to ask her, what should they buy first? Right. What's your favorite? Yes, that was what I was going to oh say. Oh, my God. I know. So, I, so we have a couple different ways that you can enjoy the brand. We have ready-to-eat bowls, which are microwavable ready in less than 90 seconds. And that really gives you a whole experience for the brand because it has all of the different sauces uh, in all the five bowls. My favorite is called the Bella Bowl. Mm -hmm. And it's what I used to eat every day as a little kid in my Indian village. My grandma would make it. It's malagatani, clarified butter, braised greens, steamed basmati rice, and a tomato chutney. 
and that wow, it sounds like, so delicious. It is so, so delicious. simple and delicious. Yes, simple is hard to do, and I'm so proud we did it. Um, and it's delicious. It tastes like home, and it's also vegan and plant powered. So. How did you, I mean, what's the concept here? You want to try to feed as many people as possible some very good, fresh Indian yeah. food, correct? Well, we started in Indian food because that's where I'm from. But we're going to soon be expanding to other flavor profiles like Vietnamese food, Thai food, like the Southeast Asian. That's really where we get excited about creating an experience, a global experience for Americans to try true, authentic premium clean food so our food has no preservatives in it it's never f frozen it's fresh we make everything from scratch and my goal is to get it on as many kitchen tables in the pacific northwest as possible yes so you said the pacific northwest because you don't want to expand to the whole country i would love to <laughs> i would love to you go slow to go fast that's right you go slow to go fast i'm really proud of that yeah but that's that's the dream It's a beautiful challenge. I mean, to bring fresh product to that many people in a, in a setting like a store yes. is a big, big challenge. People might not realize that, but it's a gi giant challenge. Yes, but you know, if we can send men to the moon, we can get fresh food in all grocery stores in America and get people eating clean and delicious and connecting through food experience every night. And we can, can make snack that actually tastes like what it says on the yeah. box. <laughs> We, we had just, a little, yeah. We had a little trouble with Terry earlier in the tasting panel. He was a little quite, quite fraught with anger. Oh no! Yeah, um, you have a couple of kids. I sure do. You sure do. Um, what's your favorite? What are their favorite foods that you're making right now? So my kids are your typical American kids. You know, they oscillate. They love burgers and pizza and fries. We make even <laughs> pasta. We make. We have a pasta machine at home. We have an atlas. We make pasta at home, and they also love the soulful Indian food that they kind of grew up on. Mm -hmm. That was the staple of their infancy diet. And uh, you know, I am a little embarrassed. My kids don't know the language because. I didn't grow up speaking. In our house, we speak English. Right. I grew up in a house where we spoke our mother tongue. So they'll say things like, I would like the yellow thing. I would like the red <laughs> thing. I'd like the red chicken. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> But yes, you know, they're, they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. they're, they're beautiful. Does that mean they're people. asking for those sauces? Because I think that is the part of your product line uh, that's destined for such big growth. Because yes, it it's a meal solution. It's a meal solution. And... What I'm really excited about for that is we are introducing Americans to true South Asian food, and you can get a premium clean meal on the table in less than 30 minutes. Yeah. When, you're at the, when you're at Met Market, pick up some pork loin, pick up some chicken, grab a bag of rice, and you can have a d delicious gourmet meal on your table for 30, in less than 30 minutes. And I think that's, you know, that's amazing. It is, it is definitely, I think, where the world is going to, to To, to take that bridge from the people who don't cook anything and the people who know more about the food, yes. you know, that bridge is exactly that. It's yes. to make sure that people can have a small time, small amount of time to cook something delicious. Yes, yes. So the brand is Sri Bella, S-R-I, and then the next word, B-E-L-L-A, Sri Bella Foods. And if you were to uh, grab one of your sauces yes and a bag of rice yes how do people make it what's what's the plan do they you just have to 
pan brown your chicken thigh or something yes. like that and then put your sauce on and braise it? Yeah, whatever you want to do. So whatever protein you want to do, whether it's tempeh, tofu, even vegetables, you know, they have protein in mm-hmm. them. If it's not an animal protein, you have so many choices. Um, our sauces are delicate and feminine, so you don't want to overcook them. I stress that on the packaging. You just kind of want, want to warm them through. And of course, braise your protein, do whatever you want to do to it. I like to put a little bit on the bottom of the plate and one container serves four generously mm-hmm. slice your meat and your garnishes whatever put it on top and it's a super gourmet complete experience so it's not a braising sauce then it's you you cook your your meat kind of separate put the sauce on the plate and then put your meat on the sauce yeah okay yeah. interesting yep yeah. yeah. it's a, where's all those kamal uh, what's the other big brand of Maya, 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 Kamal. Maya Kamal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, They're it's more a, of a braising sauce, right? They can. They can definitely. Yeah. But what I wanted to do was really bring the gourmet experience home. Mm-hmm. And if you cook our sauces too long, you might break them. I see. Right. And so, but what I want you to do is I want you to taste the fresh ginger. I want you to taste the delicious imported exclusive cardamom. I want you to taste all of those things. And if you were eating in my home, this is exactly how I would serve it to you. And I think that is the thing that excites me the most is giving Americans access to true, elegant South Asian food, and Mm -hmm. the sauces do just that. Right, and as we know today, when you use fresh ingredients like these fresh vegetables, fresh spices... It doesn't need to be cooking for a long time because no. you, do, you do waste some of it if you do cook it too long. So yes. you're right. Like yes. we were talking about the, the pesto and the things like this. You know, it's like don't cook it. Just use it as a finishing product to enhance your yes. dish. Yes. And braising, Tom, is a slow process. I want right. you to have dinner on the table in less than 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Warm it up, grill your favorite protein, and there you go. Because you get two kids screaming around you. <laughs> I have I have two kids around me almost all the time, even if I'm at work or wherever. <laughs> We're a trio. Yeah. Well, and uh, congratulations on being named uh, one of the forty under forty in the is it the Business Journal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Business Journal. Congratulations. congratulations. Thank you, Terry. Yes. Big award. Big yeah. award. Yeah. Thank you. Well deserved too. Thank you so much. All right, our guest has been Bella Sanger. She created Sri Bella Foods. You can find in your local markets uh, all over the city. And soon, all across America. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, buy them. Look for the Hakka noodles, or the palak paneer, the tomatoes, sambar protein pot, all sorts of interesting things, and uh, sauces yes. separate. Uh, Bella, you're going to stick around for a little rub with love, tasty trivia. Absolutely. All right. Uh, wow, I'm scared now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to crush her, Terry. Oh, Jesus. We're going to crush her like he just got us like a the... little paneer. Oh. oh. <laughs> Like a little cheese ball. (laughs) You know what that means. We're going to get my butt kicked. Yeah. Uh, When we come back, it's uh, Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Time on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's time for Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Rub With Love, our small batch made versatile rub sauces and mustards that uh, bring an extra layer of flavor to any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store, specialty shop, butcher shop. Even Bartels carries them. They carry everything. (laughs) Uh, Find them online at Tom Douglas. Or, you know, our biggest seller online is Your Buddy Stan out of Mount Vernon. So check out Your Buddy Stan's uh, different products that he sells on Amazon. Um, Chef Terry. Yes. We are being joined by Bella Sanger here uh, in in our trivia game. 
And Pamela has that look on her face like this is there's the fixes in. <laughs> yeah. Like we're gonna look like a uh, yeah. we're definitely gonna look like a pioneer, like you said earlier. Exactly. <laughs> we're gonna look like oh, we're gonna look like the Yeah, we're gonna look like oh, it. Okay. Uh, Pamela, will you tell us uh, who our winner is today and how you play the game? Our winner is Corey and Mina Hayes, uh, for sharing the hot stove experience with their families to celebrate their son's birthday. Ah. And uh, we were just very touched by being part of the family celebration. The prize today, Carol Bausch has recommended, because we were talking about veggies and pasta salad, she just made a beautiful pasta salad with the veggie rub. So the prize is veggie rub, shallot mustard, and then just throwing in a little Kansas City barbecue sauce. So we've got three contestants, Bella and Tom and Terry. Terry likes to go first, so let's rock into this. Number one. I'd like to have Bella's question. Well, well, the loser, you forgot to mention that the loser has to pay for shipping of that yes, beautiful prize. That is... So, Bella, I hope you brought some cash. Yeah, you know I did. <laughs> Mr. Rotoro? Go ahead. What is a small coin-shaped piece of meat called? A small piece of round meat called? I'm going to go with uh, uh, medallion. Yes! What are the main ingredients of menudo? Tripe. Yes! Okay, Bella might have some stiff does competition. It, Terry, does oh, it I'm af- nervous. <laughs> Terry, does it offend you when Pamela says you're correct with a surprise? <laughs> Number no, three. It doesn't offend me. You see how much I suck at this? Okay. <laughs> what is pan dowdy? I doubt it. I would know. <laughs> a pan dowdy. <laughs> it's kind of Americana-esque. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mr. Douglas is smiling. Are you going to? No. Do, do you know, Tom? No. Oh, <laughs> of course. Pandowdy is a deep dish dessert from apples and spices topped with biscuit batter. Number four, <laughs> what does it mean to bake blind? Bake blind means you don't put anything in your dough. You just take the dough and you bake it as is with some weights in it and put it in the oven. And you have now a cooked tart shell or a cooked baked shell. Screaming to the forefront. Correct answer. And number five, what is bath chap? A bath chap, a bain marie. No, no. Okay, I don't know. I'm, I have no idea. It's when you rub against the bathtub when you're. It in the bath is, too much. This one was obscure. The lower portion of a pig's cheek that has been cured like bacon, but the chaps must come from the long-jawed pig rather than the flat-headed species. I can't believe no one would know this. <laughs> All right, Bella. Oh, well, that's, my that's, how, that's how you manage somebody to say at three out of five. Uh, I'm in absence four because I have two kids at home. Remember that, okay? So I'm my best. Um, number one, what is paneer? Oh, Pamela. Paneer is an Indian cheese. It is similar to a ricotta, and it's, it's, um, and it's used widely in the Punjab region. Yes. Number two. She might get extra points for all how the extra you, How come you look surprised she knew that? <laughs> what is a haka noodle? Oh, well, if you frequent the Shri Bella section of yes. the refrigerated to-go section of your grocery store, haka noodles is uh, Shri Bella's take on some South Asian slash Indo-Chinese food. And so Shribella is a version where we do a gluten-free sweet potato-based noodle with a spicy and tamarind sauce on it. And we like to call it the Hakka Bowl. 
Uh, nice. I, that's the one I bought. It was spectacular. Thank Number you. three. <laughs> what style of tea uses bergamot as the predominant flavoring? It's popular. It's a very good question. I like Pearl that. Gray. I know. Yes. yes. I knew that did too. Oh, wow. Very good. Very good. Three for three. This isn't looking good for us, Chef. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah. Number four. What is the name of the horticultural technique whereby the leaves of the plant are whitened or prevented from becoming green by growing them in complete darkness? darkness. <gasps> Your Highness. Oh. I don't know. Blind greenhousing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is Blanche. Ah. Just, and so that's interesting that that term has two culinary uses. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that, that was a new one day. to me. And we'll finish with please name the noodle made from buckwheat. Soba. Soba. Yes. She's got four out of five. She's in the lead. She's in the Mr. lead. Mr. Douglas. I know. I know. I'm paying, I'm paying for the price and shipping. I, I know already. What are the traditional ingredients in a sofrito? And we'll take either the Spanish version or the Italian version. Onions. Yep. Peppers. Yep. And celery. Yay. This is getting... Competition stiff t- this morning. What pepper is Tabasco sauce made from? The p- Tabasco pepper. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's come from a, no, it comes from a factory. It's not from a pepper. <laughs> what is tahini made from? Hmm. I just used it yesterday, which I don't use it very much. But when I know I make, I, I've never had tahini at your house. <laughs> when I make baba ganoush, I love a lot of tahini in my baba ganoush. It's sesame paste. Yes. All right. This is getting tense. <laughs> when do chefs use clarified butter? Miss Bella would call it ghee, if yes, I'm I not would. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, chefs use it whenever the hell they want. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, yes. I call it golden liquid. Golden liquid. Ooh, <laughs> romantic, romantic. I use it for sautéing. I use it as uh, to build my hollandaise. I use clarified butter, not whole butter. Uh, but I think I want to know I why. I use it to dip my king crab in. Uh, I like clarified butter. So there's a difference between clarified butter and melted butter. Yeah. Tom Tell is, me more. Tom, Tom is using both. But the melted butter you is... You said clarified, right? Yeah. 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 Clarified is cooked down slowly to separate the whey and the, uh, and the fat. Fats. Yes. Yeah. And yes. you use the fat for high searing temperature. That's what I said. Dun, I dun, use dun. it for... Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. So am I give it, should I give Tom the You should points? give me four. I gave you four okay. different ways to use it. Yes. I'm, I'm now like eight out of nine. Uh, you... You might win today, so let's see if this last one's hard enough. What is the meaning in the beverage world of dosage? He knows the answer to that, too. He better know it. I've been to the area with him. I know, and we've actually watched him dosage uh, (laughs) recently, uh, disgorge uh, stuff at... um, Rotor. You remember yeah. that? Old yep. Time? Champagne house. Yeah, exactly. But tell them what it means. It's, if a, you little, win. it's a little uh, simple serve that they put in. Uh, they blast the cap off with, of a champagne bottle, and they, uh, out comes the impurities, and they refill it up with a little dosage of uh, sweet wine uh, to go back into the bottle. And it's, uh, it's a way to kind of refresh in champagne that's been in the cellar for too long. 
Thank you. Not you me. are the winner today. Yes. Mr. Rotoro. I'm paying for the shipping. <laughs> Bella, instead of paying for the shipping, I'll deliver. <laughs> thank Bella, you, Bella. Thank for, you so thank much. Thank you for having me, you guys. That was fun. Thanks for being a good sport. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Folks, watch just as we're taping this right now. You're listening to Hot Stove on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Uh, our tech is Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful hot weekend.